between the cherubim shine forth. You dwells between the cherubim shine forth. You dwells between the cherubim shine forth. Yes, we bless you. Yes, we bless you. Mm, thank you, Jesus. Shut up, Arikaporikata. Master. Mm. Thank you. Same life, that same life that is seated at the right hand of the throne. It is that life, that life that is him that I've come to seal. I have come to seal. I have come to give things that pertain to being sealed with that life. For I am bringing and declaring the name of my God. I am declaring the name of my God. I have come to speak the name of my God. I have come to declare the name of my God and I have come to show you the life in my God says the spirit of the Lord thank you father oh thank you praise the Lord hallelujah hallelujah amen amen good morning bless you 
Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Please just greet someone this morning and welcome them to God's presence. Shapri and Oprata. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation. Amen. How many of us were blessed on Wednesday? Wednesday's meeting, you're blessed, okay. I was telling someone that I hadn't um, moved my watch up hour so amen when it was to 10 I thought it was to 9 so we could have gone for another hour on Wednesday <laughs> praise God well, thank God I, I remembered if not you would have been uh, wondering what's going on eh? <laughs> praise God uh, well, we thank God for thank God for the blessing uh, that the Lord brought for us. I think we're talking about the leading of the Spirit, praise God. Um, you know, that, that's important, an important thing we need to master. We need to master and learn the leading, uh, the leading of the Spirit in its different dimensions for our soul. Well, this morning, I, there's just something about the book of Revelation that's been, that's just been in my heart and um, I don't know what the Lord will want to say from here, but let's just flow with the Spirit of God. Amen. Um, you know, the book of Revelation is the, is the, book, of, is the book of service. Uh, it's the book of the, of the perfection of the service of God. Do you agree with that? Yeah, so, I mean, chapter 1, let's see. Um, Revelation chapter 1. Should they say amen? amen. Okay. Um, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Amen. Uh, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw, praise God. And blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Um, so it's, a, it's very clear that this book is a, revela- it's a revelation uh, which Jesus has, but which Jesus um, received from God. It's the, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him. So it's, um, that word revelation of Jesus Christ is, is a revelation both of 
Jesus' own person and also a revelation of God. Praise the Lord. It's very clear that God can only be revealed in Jesus. All right, so if God is bringing forth a revelation of himself, it has to be in, in Jesus. Now, what this revelation is a revelation which is given in a particular way that can, it can be shown unto the servants, the servants of God. Praise God. And he sent it and signified it by his angel unto his own servant. So it's a revelation that is to, the destination of the, the revelation is for servants. But they had to pick a servant who should bring the revelation of service to servants. And we saw that last time that servant, service of God, there is service of God that is perfected. And there is service that is not yet perfected, but it's on the journey to being perfected. Praise God. And so this revelation, the book of Revelation, is a book written to people who are, who are concerned about the service of God, people who have been enrolled into the school of the word, of the service of God. So the book of Revelation is about the perfection of service. How can a soul perfect God's service? And so he sent it and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. Praise God. Uh, this, this way he sent it and he signified it. That was signified means he sent it and signified it. To signify it means that the, what the revelation of the book is according to signs. That anybody who will access the revelation of this book must be able to interpret signs. It means that it's a revelation, but it's not, it's not just a, an open revelation that is just freely accessible. Praise God that actually the revelation is written in signs which servants can interpret. Because of those people who there is a code or there's already a kind of wisdom of interpretation which is built into souls who have a mind of service. Praise the Lord. And so the servants here are people who are already graduates of the school of the spirit at a level who have moved into the school of service of God, right? And by such um, stature that such people have, they have the ability to be able to see. So it's very clear that the rest of the epistles is a preparation to the book of Revelation, of the final revelation for the perfection of the word, of the service of God. It means that somebody with a fresh I, who hasn't come, who hasn't gone through the school of the New Testament, will not be able to understand the revelation. Why? Because they won't have the key to unlock the signs inside the book of Revelation. Amen. Um, but the Lord will help us um, because um, the let's see, verse three. Verse three said that blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and then keep those things 
which are what? Written therein for what? For the time is at hand. Amen. Um, and we've said a lot of things about the service of God. We, we've seen that serving God um, begins at a particular point. And the point where serving God begins is the point where the soul begins to encounter the Lamb of God, right? Who, the Lamb of God, who said that he is the teacher of service, that he is the one who will teach all men how to serve God. That without the Lamb, anybody seeing the Lamb, anyone who can't see the Lamb will not know how to serve God. Praise God. And, and why is that? It's because the, the service, now when, when the, let, let's see, praise God. There is, the, the revelation of service um, is actually the, is a secret. It's the secret of God, which God has. Because there's something about God that if anybody who can serve God well, if you can serve God well, there are things God cannot deny from his soul who can perfect service of God. Because God is faithful. It's like a servant serves a master well, and the master will not reward the servant. There's a reward which the master has to give anybody who can break into and fulfill the service of God. Amen. And so it's very clear that the reward of service of God is eternal life. Right, eternal life is that reward which any soul who can fully serve God properly and serve him well will receive the, the ultimate reward which God has. That God will not, cannot deny this reward from somebody who has finished serving him. That reward is what God calls eternal life. So eternal life is the, is the reward that God gives to souls who have served him, that means that the service of God, the school or the learning of the service of God is the learning of his life, praise God, or is the school of everlasting life that will make God reward souls with the reward of what? Of eternal life. Praise the Lord. Now I said that that, so the, the code of service of God is a secret. It's a secret and that secret is the secret which the Lamb of God has. That Lamb of God is a carrier of secret. Amen. And if you can open up the Lamb and see his nature, you are brick. Any eye who can see the Lamb is somebody who is having access into secrets of God. It's not possible to discern the nature of the Lamb and not see what secret. Let us see our Revelation chapter 7. Praise God. Revelation 7. <clears throat> From verse, okay, let's see chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. Thank you, Father. Praise God. Thirteen, sorry. Revelation chapter 13. If you're there, say Amen. Verse 7, and it was given unto him to, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and what? And nations. 
And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the, in the book of life of the Lamb slain from where? From the foundation of the world. So the book of life of the Lamb um, is actually the book of the secret of the life which the Lamb has. Say the book. That word book just means a record. A record that is kept, sealed, finished. Praise God. A book means a finished, a finished work that is written and is kept. So he's talking about the, the written work of the life. The book of life of the Lamb. He's talking about the written work of the life of the Lamb. Praise God. Now, that written work of the Lamb's life is, when you open it, you find that, ah, there are things written there, and what is written there are natures. And those natures, like we said, those natures are names, right? And every person, when they say that those whose names are found written there, is not saying that if Wesley or Bamishi or Benji is written there, when you open the Lamb's book, you will not find your, the name your father gave you inside the Lamb's book of life. Praise God. That is not what they are saying. What they are saying is that what, when they look at your soul, what your soul is called in the spirit, if they see that thing inside the book, if your, what is in you matches what is inside the book, that's what it means for someone's name to be written inside the Lamb's book of life. So somebody, if they check someone's life and they try, that, they try to name what the nature is called and say, okay, well, this nature is called, this is the kind of nature we found in this soul. Now, can we check the Lamb's book of life? Can we find that same nature inside the book? And they don't find that nature there. That's what it means, that someone's name not being what written into the, in the Lamb's word, book of life. So he says, and it is written... It is given unto him to make war. This person, of course, is the beast that rose out of the sea. And he will make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindred and tongues and nation. And then all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So, so what it means here is that anybody who has a nature that is not found inside the record of life of the Lamb. Such a person is a, will, be, will be a worshiper of this entity called the beast. The beast, praise God, his nature or the kind of worship which he's trying to bring men to participate in. That the only thing that can make a man not worship in that way is if the soul of a man has a nature that is found inside what? The book. So it's very clear then that what is written into the book of, the Lamb's book of life are natures that worship according to the Lamb's order of worship. That anybody who is not there worships a different, will worship a different way. Like we said, we already established that no soul can escape worship, that you worship something. Every soul is a worshiper of something. So, but the thing is, what a man worships is according to what kind of life he has. Worship is not something that you go and decide to do. 
Worship is something that you've been doing and you'll continue to do. It's a continuous thing that just occurs by virtue of your life. So if you want to change worship, you have to change your kind of life. Like how the devil doesn't, how he receives worship is not by someone kneeling down and saying, devil, I worship you. You can kneel down and worship devil. That's not the real worship. The worship is not ceremonious. Worship in the spirit is not ceremonious. The way we come to church and worship God, this is not the worship of God. Amen. Rather, this is an avenue for God to help men to have an insight into how to worship God. That real worship undergoes is happening just continuously. It's one thing that's hard to break is worship. Worship doesn't stop as long as the soul is, is moving. The machine of the soul is moving. The soul is worshiping. What does that mean? It means that by what the soul is doing, one spirit or the other is collecting worship, receiving worship. Praise the Lord. Amen. So, so you're seeing that there's a great contention for who men will worship, who men worship on the earth. Spirits are interested in who men will end up worshiping. Praise God. Amen. Uh, so it's very clear that the, 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 the lamb, then this, this lamb or the life of the lamb, then should be of interest to anybody. Praise God. The, word, the, the life of the lamb should be of what? Interest. Should be of interest to everybody. There's nobody who should not have an interest in the what? In the life of who? Of the lamb. Amen. I want us to look at this lamb. Let's just see a little bit concerning him. Let's see uh, Revelation chapter chapter five. Revelation chapter five. Praise God. Are you there? Amen. Okay, let's see from verse 1. It says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside. Amen. And then sealed with what? With seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to... Lose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven or in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to lose the seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been, what? Slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the, what? Seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth, and he came and, what, took the book out of who? The right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And then when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. 
And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall what? Reign on the earth. Now, it's very clear that these guys who were singing this song, they were angels, but it's not their own song. Right? They are, you know angels are prophetic. So when something just occurred, they just began to sing the song of that thing that just happened. So it's not them. Of course, angels are not going to be, are not redeemed from by the, by the blood of Jesus from every kindred and tongue and people and nations. But when he came and took the book, they, they began to sing the song that, that pertains to them for whom he took it, which is you and I. It was actually our song that they were singing, praise God, in this place. Now, this lamb, this book which he took is the book of life in, in verse chapter 13 that we just saw. So they are showing us where he got that book from. Do you see that? So where he got the book from, if you go to chapter 13, verse, verse 7, verse 8, chapter 13, verse 8, it says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, that was slain from the word foundation. So you see that word there, who he being slain from the foundation of the world, you see that in the song that was sung in chapter 5, verse 9. Amen. Is it okay to, to be technical today a little? All right. Praise God. Thank you. I have your permission. Praise God. Um, chapter 5, verse 9. Says, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou was slain. So you see this slain. Amen. Here in, in chapter 13, they said here he was slain from the foundation of the world. What that means is that that was slain means the slain lamb is the, is the accomplished lamb. The slain lamb is the accomplished lamb. So when they said that he was slain from the foundation of the world, that slain is not talking about just the killing of Jesus. That happened 2,000 years ago. And he wasn't even just talking about Jesus' his physical journey upon the earth that, that ended in him losing his own life, which he did. He lost his own life in his soul and received the life of his father. But rather, he's talking about the slaying of the lamb for the record of the book. Do you get what I'm saying? He's talking about something else. He's talking about when it's some of the time when God wrote the secret, wrote the content of the book, that God was writing out the life of a slain lamb. When did God write the lamb? It's very clear then that before Jesus was ever born, that the, the record of his life was already written. In the book of Hebrews, right? Amen. Let's read that very quickly. Glory to Jesus. 
We'll come back here. Let's just read the book of Hebrews. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. That's chapter what? Hebrews chapter 10. Praise God. Mm. Glory to Jesus. What verse is that? Verse 7. Amen. Okay, let's read from verse from verse 5. Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, verse 5. It says, Wherefore, when he cometh, so they are, now, they are now speaking here about when he cometh into the world, right? They're not talking about that. You know, in the book of Revelation chapter 13, they say he was slain from the foundation. The foundation, that foundation is not talking about when God, physical foundation. His foundation means, means this institution founded in 1993. Founded when it came into inception. So it's very clear the foundation of the world. When you want to trace the foundation of the world, you have to trace it to the first thought about the world that God had. In his heart. That was when God founded the world. He founded it inside. So before, so you mean the lamb was slain before the founding of the world. Means the life of the lamb was actually, already existed in God. The book of, of the slain life. God had already written the record of such a life already and finished before. Okay, before he said, okay, let's now create the environment for which this thing pertains to. Do you understand what I mean? So he's not just talking about just slaying the man, Jesus Christ. He's talking about something else, something very, very deep. Praise God. So in chapter 10, verse 5, it says that wherefore, when he cometh into the world, this is now talking about Jesus. When he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared what for me. Says so you don't desire sacrifices. In verse 6, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no what? Pleasure. But then I said, so having, having figured out that men have been doing sacrifices for thousands of years, he being a Jew, he knew their attempt, the record of their attempt to please God is based on sacrifice and offering. And then when he, he was, he, when he was raised and they brought him into the world, he said, I looked at that and I knew that that's not where it is. But, but I know that rather you have done something else for me. Rather a, a body has thou what prepared. There's something that I ought to do in my body that should replace what sacrifices and sins were doing. So amen. Then verse 7, then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me, what, to do what, thy will, O God. So you see in that thing of doing the will, anytime you're talking about will, the will is the instrument for service. Praise God. Amen. So the will is what? The instrument for service. If you don't know what I want and you say, I'm serving you, can you serve me? What might end up happening is that you might end up serving yourself. Somehow, but there's no way you can serve me. There's no way you can serve him unless you know what he wants. 
So it's very clear that without will, there's no service. So he says, that a body has thou prepared for me. Why did they prepare a body for him? They prepared a body for him because so that by that body, he can present that body unto God, what you call a living sacrifice, according to chapter 12 of Romans. Do you understand what I mean? He says sacrifices, and it means a regular type of sacrifice. You don't like them. But instead, you prepared a body for me. And what would I do with that body? I must now have access in that body to something called will. That the problem with the sacrifices and the offering of the Israelites in the Old Testament is that they were sacrificing things without the will of God. Sacrifice, that's what we need. Religion is sacrifices without, with ignorance about the will of God. Just God's will is not even involved, not even patience or time to think about the will of God, but just bringing something. God, I brought this. God, I brought that. God, I brought this. This is what we are doing for God. Praise the Lord. But he said instead, no, 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 no. The sacrifice has to be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice, a living sacrifice is a sacrifice is a being, a body in, that, that has a soul that is possessed with the living will of God. That as a soul, you see, in the realm of God, you know that thing called how you offer sacrifice to God is to live in his sight. That's the only sacrifice that God accepts. When you see a soul living in his sight, that soul is sacrificing. As any soul is living in the sight of God, that soul is sacrificing. That's the sacrifice that God takes from his soul. And how does the soul live in the sight? The living in the sight of God is talking about a kind of life that is defined by the very will of God. The moment the life is living and steps outside the will, the person disappears from the sight of God. The, the person just what, disappears. He doesn't find place. Lucifer was an entity of the, of the sight of God. It was a cherub. When you read about the cherub, they are beings of presence. The moment he moved outside the wheel, they say your place is no longer, they couldn't find his place anymore because the, the way a soul, to, no, no soul can walk in the sight of God directly. If you want to walk in God's sight, you must walk in the will of God. When you are walking in the will of God, you appear in his sight. So Jesus Christ knew this. He said, no, no, this not, we won't do this whole business. This old thing of just offering things. No, rather God has given a body. So Jesus Christ came to model what bodies are meant for. Praise God. The purpose of giving bodies, according, let's see that um, Hebrews chapter, sorry, Romans chapter 12. Praise God. Father, we thank you. Romans chapter 12. Verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice with a different kind of sacrifice. This one is special. This one is holy and is acceptable to God which is your reasonable service. Say reasonable service. The word reasonable service means, that word reasonable, it's not talking about, it's talking about service according to, it's reasonable. 
When you say something, is, that thing is not reasonable at all. It means that in the, in the realm of your thinking, it doesn't align. It's broke, it breaks code of, your, of reason. It's not acceptable. Praise God. So there are things that are unreasonable to God. A lot of the sacrifices that men offer are not reasonable to God. They don't make sense. It do, the sacrifice does not answer the question posed in his presence. There's, there's constant question that is posed in the presence of God. And any life form that cannot answer those questions, amen, cannot, cannot be and exist in God's sight. Amen. So service has to do, that's what happened to Cain. When they were offering up sacrifice, Cain's own was not, I wasn't aligning well. It wasn't reasonable. According to the reason of God, it wasn't making sense. That when we evaluate this sacrifice and then we look at the heart from where it came from, that heart is not answering the equation of the presence of God. Amen. So this reasonable service here is talking about the the service of God. Praise the Lord. So you now understand it's very clear then that the book of Revelation is actually actually a book about to, 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 to heal and to perfect the lack of the, of the concept of the will of God that should make service perfect. So that thing is what he, they call the revelation of Jesus Christ. That revelation is, called, is the secret Jesus had, and no man ever had that secret upon the earth. Men's sacrifice just doesn't go. God doesn't accept it. Amen. God does not what? In the Old Testament, God has to pretend as if he's accepting it. Just so that the people will not revolt or something, or just, just to make them okay and stay. But God was not accepting the sacrifice. It was someone like David who began to figure out, this thing, God doesn't really like this thing. No. This sacrifice bulls, and it doesn't really do anything. They began to steer his heart to find other means of things that are more acceptable to God. Do you understand what I mean? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So he says, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable word, service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and what acceptable and what perfect will of God. So it's very clear that without this good, acceptable, and then you now call it the perfect will of God. Without that perfect will of God, service cannot be offered. Now, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When your mind is renewed, you will not begin to prove. So a renewed mind is that which can prove the good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Now, the reason why they renew the mind, so the renewed mind can, is the renewed mind that sees those wheels. And because he needs those wheels to offer sacrifice. Are you seeing that? He needs what those wheels to do what? To offer up a heart, to offer up sacrifice. Now, the offering of sacrifice is to God, which are acceptable to God. Now, how are they acceptable to God? They are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. That word, by Jesus Christ, 
He's talking about, it's not by, means is the, Jesus Christ is the pattern of acceptability. Of how things are acceptable to God. It's by Jesus Christ. If a man said, I want, to, I want to please God, not the way Jesus did it, you will not end up pleasing God. You will not end up serving God. Do you get what I'm trying to say? When he says, by Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to show you that you need the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants. If, if he doesn't show his servant that revelation, they will never know how to serve God. Because their service and their sacrifice must be acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Well, there's one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, what? Christ Jesus. Praise God. The mediator is somebody who makes things acceptable. The mediator is someone who does what? Jesus' job is not to pray for you alone. Even though he prays for you, that's not his high priestly ministry. The high priestly ministry of Jesus is the giving of the pattern of how he said, Lord, I come in the volume of the book where it is written of me to do that way. Now, how we came here was that if Jesus said that when he came into the world, he had to come in the volume of the book, what it was written of him means that he read the book. If he read the book, and, and that book, we know that book now is the book of the Lamb, right? It means that that book existed. In the spirit, it was a record. It's a, it's a finished life. A finished work. God has, so it means that God has already slain the Lamb. Before the foundation of the world. God didn't need to have the physical lamb to slay him. God was talking, God was right, you know his mercy that was writing. That, that, that elusive, secret, invisible life of God. That eternal life of God, which no man had seen nor can see. Say God alone who had immortality dwelling inside a light, which no man, no man can ever see. But after a while, that light began to talk to itself. Mercy. The, the, the merciful aspect of the life began to commune with, with God and say, is there a way we can now begin to write out this life? This, and write it in such a way and into a book that if someone can access the book, they can access the life. That is mercy. There's no other kind of thing that will talk like that. Because that God we're talking about has no need for anything. He has no need to for anything. He's satisfied by himself. Eternally satisfied. Alone by himself is okay. We don't know how long he has been. In fact, in his eternity, there's not, our present time does not even exist. So it means he's not in threat of not existing. Non-existence is, not, is a thought that he invented by inventing time. God is bigger than everything. You can't def- there's nothing you can use in your world to define God. There's nothing. So, so when you think of God, think of a being who is somebody who is beyond every, every metric that your imagination can muster. His life was, his life was not in, nothing threatening his life. Nothing threatening his existence. He has no vacuum, no space, no need for anything. 
So for such a being to come out of himself, you need to know that that thing was something called mercy. Mercy. That can we, is the desire to share. You want to share this thing. I want to create some people to share this kind of life with. I want to share this kind of wonderful, beautiful kind of existence. God wanted to, to he wanted to share his state of being with man. It's okay, we have to finish the work. They finished it. They wrote it. They slayed the lamb. So it means so that will now give you a very mighty revelation that the slaying of the lamb has nothing to do with sin. Really. Yeah. The main purpose. It's not really for, it's not because of sin that the lamb was slain. It's more than sin. The slain of the lamb is, a, is actually is a, is a method of how a man can reach God. When they've dealt with a man's sin, you realize he's still not where God is. That there's something that needs to occur. There has to be an operation whereby his own his his nature can be can be sown, and he can then be harvested inside another life, which is higher than the life of man. That is what you call redemption. Redemption is the process whereby something is sown, and then you, you reap something better than what you sow. Redemption is a foreign thought. It's not in the, it's, you don't find redemption on the earth. In the earth, if you sow corn, you reap corn. If you sow granite, you reap granite. If you sow, but, but when you come to redemption program, you sow corruption. You reap in corruption. Go and read First Corinthians chapter fifteen. That's a different kind of operation altogether. Mercy is comical. It's funny. Mercy will make impossible both things happen. That's why Satan hates it. That's why the devil doesn't want any soul to come near mercy. You know that once you begin to find mercy, you begin to, to touch mercy, you move into unpredictable things begin to happen to you. You see a man who spirits have worked on his generation, his lineage, and they've mapped out what he can ever be in his life. His great-grandfather was that way. There's a way he went. He does this, and at this age, he does that. Things happen. The other one, he does this thing. This is how his life. These are all his traits. This is how he, he has anger problem. They all have anger problem. They inherit, they pass it down to all their children. Then one day, one of the person will find mercy. 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 Mercy will begin to do unpredictable things. Mercy can begin to tamper with a generation, a lineage. What about... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. 
Kaboretiha. That's why Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Don't just try to offer. Find mercy first. Find mercy. Mercy is what bridges the gap. You, You might think it's your strength, but it's not. When you go by strength, after a while you will halt, you will stop. You will get to where all other men got to and stopped. Mercy, the word of God is mercy world. Everybody who got there, got there by mercy. Said looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. What? Unto. It means that Jesus Christ himself found mercy unto eternal life. 
after a while, when he was in the day of his flesh, he began to cry. He began to pray and to cry to him who can save him from death. That was saving him from death. He wasn't talking about just physical death. To save him from death. He can go down, but coming up, there's something about coming up. That he took the glory of the Father to descend. According to Romans chapter 6, he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. It wasn't just up to him, it was mercy. I mean, depending on the glory to come and raise him up. That what raising him was when he became sin and he sowed sin. When you've sowed sin, not to reap sin is not in your hand. To reap, some, to reap righteousness when sin is sown. Mercy must happen. Only a special kind of power can do that. Let me tell you guys something. Mercy is the thing that Satan did not bank for. You know, he's dealing when he was plan, plotting, planning everything. Talked to all the angels, all the ones who fell. He brought them, came down. When he came here and saw Adam and saw the seed, it was one thing he didn't plan for. Mercy. 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 Mercy can turn unrighteousness. See, you was made sin. Who knew no sin? That we might become the righteousness of God. Imagine something that can just take sin and make it righteous. <laughs> unrighteousness. Turn unrighteousness to righteousness. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. So it's by that mercy of God. That's why he said, I beseech you by the mercy of God that you present your body. Mercy is the teacher of how a soul should what? be what? Would be presented to God. Amen. So, so mercy is what? That slaying of the lamb, slaying of the lamb is actually, the slaying is the sowing. Except the corn of which falls to the ground and dies, it remaineth alone. So dying is sowing. So the, the slain lamb, when you say the slain lamb, a slain lamb is the lamb that finished his cause to be sown. Now, if a lamb, you see the picture of the lamb in chapter 5, let's go back there. Revelation. Amen. Chapter 5, verse, verse 6. Praise God. Revelation, chapter 5, verse 6. It says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb. As it had been slain, having seven on seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, and then he came. So he who came and took the, the book out of the right hand of him the sat is the lamb that is slain. So if the lamb was slain, but is standing and doing things, it means the lamb is slain, but is alive. So if the lamb is slain that is alive, then the, then the life which the lamb is living now. It's not the life he had before he was slain. So, 
the, the slain lamb is the lamb which lost his life and is now living another life. Do you get it? <laughs> so when you see that lamb standing in the presence of God, the lamb that say I saw standing in the midst of the throne, the lamb that is upon the throne is the lamb that has that mercy has raised. Is the lamb who is living the merciful life. The merciful life is the life of the lamb, which the lamb came into when mercy had raised the lamb up after the lamb lost his own life. So the slain lamb is the eternal lamb of God. Eternal means mercy. Praise God. Everything eternal is all the power of mercy makes something eternal. When, you, then when the mercy of God is fully operational in a being, that's finished all his work. That soul, that person, becomes an eternal person. Praise the Lord. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? Now, so this record of the lamb, which was slain from the foundation of the world, the life of the lamb that was slain. So the, the book of the life. So the book of the life of the lamb contains the journey of the lamb and the life which he came into. The journey of the lamb, and then what? Which he came into. When he finished his, what? His, his journey. Praise God. Amen. Let's see this chapter five closely. From verse 5, praise God. It says, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to do what? Lose the seals thereof. And then I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven what? Spirits of God sent forth into the earth, and he came and then took the book out of who? Out of the right hand of him that did what? Sat upon the throne. Now, you're seeing two creatures here. Verse 5 spoke about the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, that lion is the lamb. Is the same, is Jesus. The same man. But the lion, when you talk about this, seeing him as a lion, uh, when you see, seeing him as a lion, you're talking about, you're seeing his reign, his eternal reign. Do you see that? So his reign is eternal. It's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. 
Now, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion is a kingly animal. Yes, a, the, the, the lion is the reigning one, the one who is reigning, who is reigning upon the throne. So in that throne, you see there's a lion there, but there's also a, a lamb in that vicinity. So when you move into the side of eternal life, you see the lion reigning upon the throne. Remember when they said, when Jacob was prophesying concerning his sons, then he prophesied concerning Judah, right? He said two things there that would come from Judah. In the book of Genesis, let's see. Genesis 49. Praise God. Hallelujah. Are you there? Genesis 49. Okay. Um, verse 9 says, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? Are you seeing that? Who shall what? Who shall rouse him up? Verse 10. Then the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. Unto Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of all the people. Now, you're seeing two things that Judah will produce. It's one, it's one thing, but it's two things. It's two different kind of operations that Judah will produce. That Judah will produce, the, so the scepter, that was scepter, is talking about the authority of reign. The scepter is a symbol of Dominion, right? When the, Jesus came in Hebrews chapter 1, right, he said that the scepter of your kingdom is righteousness. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is righteousness. So that, to which of the angel did he say at any time, sit down at my right hand? So that sitting, we've spoken about the sitting operation. In the realm, when you get to the throne, you have the sitting, you have the sitting Jesus, and you have the standing and the walking Jesus. The sitting Jesus is talking about the reigning Jesus. He's talking about the reign of his eternal life. That's how we, God told him, sit thy throne, O God. Is forever. You know, he, when, he, you know when he first got to heaven, when he, the present heaven, as he is where he's there right now, he's seated. They told him, sit. Because in heaven, he's seated eternally. He's seated in the present, but he's seated eternally. And we said that that right hand is an eternal position. We said that. Is that the right hand, when it comes to the inward kind of custody of life, yes. is higher than the reigning throne yes. in the present. The reigning throne in the present is everlasting, which is the kind of demonstration of reign which God is having. His kingdom is ruling over the present. Praise God. But Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand 
is the fulfillment of his names according to the prophecy of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born. And they're talking about that prophecy of Isaiah. It's talking about the prophecy of everything that Jesus will be to us in the present. He's talking about all his names in the present. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. His name shall be called first. Wonderful. Counselor. Then the mighty God. Wonderful. Counselor. The mighty, do you know who the mighty God is? The mighty God is Christ. The mighty God, that one is talking about the power of God. Is the power. That word mighty, that word they translate mighty there. That's that, the Old, Old Testament rendition of the power. Christ, who is the power of God. So that word mighty God, it means the operation of power that God will do. Which is Christ. With all power is step up, elevation. Is the Christos. Is the, is the Messiah. Do you get what I'm saying? So that, that way, because you see mighty God there, talking about Jesus, there will be a time he will become, he will become the might of God. Or the power of God. The might of God. Jesus became the might of God. So the might of God is who men climb to God. Who makes men powerful to come to God. Is the empowerment of man. You need to read that place. You need to, to read that place. You have to really meditate on it. Now, for unto us. It's talking about what he is to us. Just, it's, just, it's a prophecy concerning who he will be to you. It's not just, it's not talking about his eternal reign and all. It's talking about in the present. All the names that he will fulfill for you. What he will be to you. So at some point, first of all, he was first wonderful. Then from being wonderful, when Jesus Christ is wonderful, he's talking about the name of the Holy Ghost. How wonderful. That's the Holy Ghost. Then after being wonderful, he now becomes your counselor. Yes, sir. That's the, when he begins to open his ministry up and talk about things. Revelational ministry is the counseling dimension. So you know him first. I say, wonder, whoa, wonder working man. The wonderful man of Galilee. That's the first aspect of him, of his name. His name shall be called. So all these things are what his name will be called. The summary of his names to man. We will first be wonderful. That's the, the, the dimension of the milk of the world. You experience the wonderful Jesus. Then when you move into the realm of Christ, you, under, you, you come into the counseling Jesus that need to counsel you into his might. Right? You see that realm of might is a, is a, is a powerful, wonderful place. Mind is talking about the full power. When Christ, the counsel is mature. The soul has become powerful. It's ready to climb. Wonderful counselor, the mighty God. Then from there, you now become the everlasting father. The everlasting father is talking about the fatherhood, the first fatherhood in the realm of God. Of everlasting life. 
You see, the last one is called the Prince of Peace. Now, now when, when is he, what, what is that thing of Prince of Peace? Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Who is the Prince of Peace? The Prince of Peace is the one seated at the right hand. That right hand is the principle, where the prince sits down. So that name, Prince of Peace, is the highest name of God. Now, Jesus will bear that name of Prince of Peace until he finishes and expires the present, when he will, like a vesture, roll them up, according to Hebrews chapter 1. Now, as the Prince of Peace, he will sit there until all his enemies are made his footstool. It means that all his enemies are under his body. His footstool means his body has come up. So it means that when his body also have become princes of peace. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm trying to say? When his body have also, means when they've also sat with him and the enemies are under their foot too, it's time to do away with the present. And when they are moving from there, they are moving into eternal reign. It's a different kind of thing entirely. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Amen. Now, now you see on the throne, this throne that, they are, that you, you see here in the spirit, you see they're now showing you two dimensions of that man called Jesus. They are, they are talking about, they show the reigning Jesus, which is the sitting Jesus, which is the lion. He said he will couch like an old lion. Who can, who can that Genesis 49, who, who shall rouse him up? That is a sitting. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, as an old lion, who shall what? Rouse him up. So when he says the lion of the tribe of Judah is, is actually the, the, the Jesus reigning in his eternal estate, in a, in a, with his eternal life. Reigning with his eternal life. That's the lion of the tribe of Judah. But when he now comes to ministering to men, they have to show you another side of him. In other words, they're not just showing you him reigning because that won't help you too much. They have to show you the pattern of getting to that reign, which is that, that, that pattern is in the lamb. If you try and read the lion directly, you will not see that. You just see a lion couching. How do you get there? Because when you see that lion, that lion is a man. It's of the tribe of Judah. They tied him to his earthly... When you see him there, you see eternal lion, who is a man, seated on the throne. When you see such a thing, it will first confuse you. I thought this is God's place. Why is a man sitting there? And when you see him as a lion reigning, you are, how do you get to that reign? The lion will not, cannot answer you that question. Because the lion is not a, he's not a teacher, he's a reigner. Do you get what I'm saying? He's not a teacher, he's a reigner. But in his nature, there is his, his teaching nature, which is, not, which is not couching, which is standing. In that chapter 5, Revelation, let's go back. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Whew. 
So, now, in verse 5 of Revelation chapter 5, it says, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, because behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. So he beheld two things. First, he beheld the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who had prevailed to open the book and to, and to lose the seals. That is not the full reason why you shouldn't weep anymore. Because what they are saying is that this lion in, by himself, the reason why he is able to stay here is because he, for himself, was able to open the book and to lose the seal. That still says nothing concerning you. They are telling you how did the lion get to that place, that this lion, he won't be here until, unless he has been able to take the book and to open the seals and to journey with the seals to arrive in this place. But after that, you now have to also now behold something else. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are what? The seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. So when they showed the lion, and they told this lion actually has prevailed. Now, that he's prevailing is not talking about you yet. He's just telling you that this man, why is this lion is there? It's, he prevailed. Yeah. This one actually, that's why he's sitting on the throne. He prevailed. He actually was able to handle the book, open it, and unveil the seals. And by virtue of the power of that book, he prevailed, and he's sitting. So when they showed the lion, the angels did not sing about you. They didn't sing about you because they're just talking concerning the lion, which is true, which is what he attained. But then when you saw the lamb who was standing there, and then the lamb came, as soon as he took the, the book out of the right hand, because you know that the, the, the lion's handling of the book is not the same as the lamb's handling of the book. That the lamb's handling of the book is not for his own personal. He has already sat. He's now handling the book for redemption. Are you seeing that? So as soon as he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne, and verse 8, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb. Every one of them harps, having, one, having every one of them harps, and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. So it means that the, the answer to the prayer of saints is not the lion, it's the lamb. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if there was no lamb provision... Jesus would have gone, if he wasn't made a lamb, he was only made a lion, he would go take the book, he would prevail to take the book, open the seals, and by that he would sit on the throne and it would not have anything to do with you. 
But I'm just trying to show you what the, the provision of the lamb, they did not have to be a lamb in Jesus' journey. That the provision of the lamb, the image of the lamb is for the, to bring the sight of redemption. The purpose of the lamb, the lamb is the embodiment of the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Is an embodiment of that word, revelation, to show unto his servants things which should what? Shortly. That word come to pass is not just talking about time, something will happen. Shortly come to pass means they are at a place where some things should happen to them. And, but they have no clue about that change, that transformation, that journey that needs to occur. But that, they need to be shown those things that should shortly what? come to pass in them. Praise God. <clears throat> and when he had taken the book, the four, and, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou was slain and hath redeemed us to God by thy word, blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And then has made us unto our word, unto our God, kings and what? Priests. So we have to be made kings and priests. And then we shall what? Reign. Upon the earth. Praise God. Are you blessed today? So you're seeing God or you're seeing Jesus actually in two dimensions. dimensions. The reigning eternal one and then the eternal one, he's also eternal but he's an eternal one with an everlasting ministry. So it's not that it's two different people, no. We're talking about how they are split in the scripture for the purpose of identification and revelation. So there are some times in scripture they are talking about the reigning Jesus. There are other times they are talking about the Jesus who is been made a, a teacher of everlasting life. Let's see what Isaiah said. Isaiah chapter. Praise God. Does that make sense, sir? Okay. Amen. Mm. In verse fifteen, see Isaiah. Sorry, chapter fifty seven. Isaiah 57. 
Praise God. If you're there, say amen. amen. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, it says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabited eternity, whose name is holy now. This high, say high. And lofty. Now, what's the meaning of lofty? Is there a way you can check for me? Maybe a dictionary or something. Or pure English breed students. Can you just tell me from the top of your head? Lofty. Sir? Pastor Folari? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. 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 Is that the same thing you have? Oh. Hi. Noble or exalted nature. Amen. Uh, praise God. Uh, this lofty here is more than high. They said high and lofty. So that lofty is, is high relative to something else. It's a height that is higher than. Lofty means, it means a height that is, is dimensionless. That it, it has, there is no frame to measure. It's too lofty. That's, that's describing the height of the eternal one. Do you get what I'm saying? It's the height of the eternal one. So there's what you call high. Then high, when you say high, 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 most high. High place in the present. Then when you talk of higher than the heavens, you're talking about a lofty height, a height that there's no frame of reference in the present. So this height is talking about height beyond everlasting. It's talking about the, the eternal height of God. Praise God. The high and lofty one that inhabited eternity. Right? Whose name is holy. Now he's saying, look at me. This, that high and lofty one who inhabits eternity is now speaking. He says, listen. Say, I dwell in the high and holy place. Now, the high and holy place is different. It's also a high place. When they say high and holy place, now, high and holy place, praise God. There is the holy place. There is a holy place. Then you have the most holy place, right? The most holy place, but the most holy place is the high and holy place. So, the most holy place is the holy place that is high. Do you get the difference? So when you say high, that word high has, is the property of the most holy. Because you have the priest and you have the high priest. So this one is a priest. That one is a high priest. This one is a priest. The one, this one has only authority of the holy place. But when they add authority, some authority of the most holy, it's add, they add the highness to it. 
according to scripture, that highness is attached to what? The most holy. Like you have your calling, then you have the high calling of God in Christ. The high calling is the calling to the most holy. It's more than just the calling. Do you get what I'm saying? So when they use the, the word high, they are talking about the most holy dimension. So it's very clear that the high and holy place is talking about the most holy word, the most holy realm. So you see that most holy realm is, def, is the everlasting realm. So the eternal God who inhabits eternity is now telling you that I also, listen, I, I also have a, a kind of a habitation, a dwelling. I inhabit eternity, but I also dwell in the high and holy place. The high and lofty one that inhabits eternity also has a dwelling where? In the high what? And holy place, which is the, the realm everlasting. And he's saying that in that place, praise God, I dwell with him that is of what? A contrite and a humble spirit. A contrite and the word, a humble spirit. That is the contrite and the humble spirit is the spirit of the Lamb. Jesus Christ said, Praise God. In Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. Amen. Are we blessed today? Are we tired yet? Okay, praise God. Matthew 11, okay. In Matthew 11, mm, thank you, Jesus. From verse 25, Matthew 11, 25, he said, At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed, it seemed good in thy sight. Now, this sight here, praise God, is, is talking about, uh, just was teaching concerning the, the attitude, there's a principle of revelation. In the, in the everlasting realm. That's what Jesus is talking about here. The principle of revelation. How they, they are, who they hide things from and then who they choose to reveal things to. Is, there is a way it seemed good in, in his sight. When you move from outside his sight, in a way the sense might change. There might be a step down kind of principle. But when it comes to in his sight, the soul is seemed good in thy sight. That there is a standard for who 
they choose to give revelation in his sight. When they say in his sight, it's the everlasting realm. Praise God. Do you understand that? Or do I need to show you why? I need to show you why. <laughs> Praise God. In Ephesians chapter 1, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Holiness is separation. Without blame, touch not the unclean thing. As he has chosen us in him, Ephesians chapter 1. Do you want to read it? Amen. You want us to take a longer journey now. Well, it's good so that we can understand it. Praise God. It's just that we might close at three, eh? Okay, I'm joking, okay. I don't want you to shut down and get angry. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, blessed be God, verse 3. And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who had blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. You understand this concept now? And everybody say before the foundation of the world. That's when he finished, he finished everything. So what he chose before the foundation of the world is that that pertains to the God's final destination, the final appointment. Amen. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So it means someone can be holy, but not yet without blame. Right? You were very, 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 very unclean before. They're able to remove some of your uncleanliness. You are now relatively holy. Someone who is holy doesn't mean he's fully holy. It's just he has, there's a stand, there's the first measure of holiness. Then, but there's a point his soul needs to be holy to, which is a point where he's without blame, which 2 Corinthians chapter 6 called, after being separate, say the Lord. Then he said, then touch not the unclean thing. When you no longer touch the unclean thing, you are without blame. Then after that, you need to be before him in love. So that realm of being before him is, is when he has, you have been received. Because when, he, because when he said that, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you. I will be, and you, you shall be my sons and daughters. And then later, God said, I will walk in them, I will be with them, and all of that. That's all those is before him, before him, before him, after they have been received. So without blame makes you received into his sight. That's what his sight. His sight means when God has received a man into the realm of everlasting, where he wants to begin to teach his own life to man. No man can learn everlasting life outside God's sight. We saw that, and we journeyed there today. We're talking about his will, talking about service. That when you step outside his own will, you, don't, you are no longer in his sight. That is the will is what brings a man into the sight of God. When you are doing God's own actual will. Are you seeing what I'm trying to say? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And so when you say in his sight, in the book of Hosea chapter 6, 
chapter 6, verse 1. Where is it? Hosea. Quickly. Praise God. What does Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 say? Hosea is too tiny, he's out to open. So read it for me, please. Okay. Okay. He had torn, he will heal us. He has smitten, he will bind us up. Then after two days, he will revive us. Then in the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his side. Now, that's the third day. Those days are seasons of change. The third day of his soul is when his soul arises, arise in his sight. That's a, that's, a, that's a beautiful day, a wonderful day. The third day in his soul. You know, when you say day, days is the turning of season, in the, of approach. As the soul is approaching God, they are turning days inside the soul. Before you get to the third day, things are happening. They are, that's the days of wilderness, trials and tribulations, sufferings, all kinds of manner of things. He can break you, he can, and then heal you. He will tear and heal, smite and bind up. All kinds of things will happen. After two days, then he will then revive. And then, he, in the third day, he will raise us up, and we shall then live in his sight. He will raise us up, and we shall live in, in his sight. Then when his soul is now in his sight... Then shall we know. If we follow on to know the Lord. Now, this is the Lord now. It's not just anyhow Lord. This is the Lord Almighty. That, this is the, the almighty dimension of lordship. When they want to, the final leading of his soul. The final lap of leading is when they want to lead his soul to his God. That's the final lap of leading. Lordship in that dimension is something else. The joy of that leading another thing. It's a different thing altogether. When you begin to sound the, the life of, a, of, his, of your God to your soul, when he can he come with, and begin to teach about the life of God himself. It's not, it's diff, teaching you about the life of your God is different from empowering you to come into the arena where you can learn about God. That's the difference between learning Christ and learning God. Most of many of us, what they are doing is just they are just trying to empower us. Can we? Can you undergo the smiting and the tearing and the breaking? They have to shift things inside you, man, to, to make you compatible with His sight, His presence. We are the training. Praise God. Then, then, then shall we know? You're now coming to another season of knowing. What season? Another season in the den. The season of knowing in the den, like Paul wrote in First Corinthians chapter thirteen. Said, now we know in part. That's the season of Christ. That's the now season. We know in part. But then we, will, we shall know as... How shall you know as you are known? Because you are in his sight. Do you, not, do you understand that, that thing? Before you, God doesn't know you. are not known before. In the now, you just know in part. They bring part things to help you to climb up. But then, there's a season called then. Then you shall know... As you are known. So you are first known first because you are in his sight. 
In the sight means when God's face can begin to look at you. Why? Because who does God know? The Lord knoweth them that are his. The foundation of God's standard show, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Them, who are them that are his? Them, those who have, he has received into his sight. Then, so your, your, the journey, the school of the presence of everlasting life is to then know as you are known. As God, God knows first. That's what makes you in his sight. Then you now need to know as you are known. Are you seeing that? So, he says, then shall we know, verse 3, how if we follow on to know the Lord, this Lord is the, ever, the Almighty, Lord Almighty, whose going forth is prepared as the morning. He shall come to us as the rain, as the latter and what? The former rain unto the earth. Even I don't want to dwell on latter and former rain. But do you, do you understand me? Have I proven to you? Uh-huh. So, so when we say in his sight, praise God, we're in Matthew chapter Matthew chapter 11, praise God. So Jesus was saying, no, Jesus was a, <laughs> Jesus was an enlightened fellow. When Jesus is talking and he's praying, his speech is accurate. He has accuracy of speech. He's not just using words anyhow. He's a, he was a prophet. If they say John the Baptist was yea more than a prophet, then what kind of man was Jesus? Even, that, even Elijah can't talk the way he talks. The best of the prophet were not as skilled. That's why he didn't, he didn't need too much writings. His messages were not too many, but we can't end them. You can't finish him. Just in one statement, he's teaching the Holy Ghost, teaching Christ, teaching God, teaching eternal life. You will see everything in little things that he's saying. What kind of mind produced such a thought? That's a saved mind for you. An eternal Lord. You know what I mean? <laughs> So he was using he was using words with accuracy. So so and at that time Jesus said that so God Jesus was speaking to his own father at this time. Praise God. And he said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and has revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemeth good in thy sight. So it seemeth good in thy sight. So it means that in everlasting life, they only reveal things to babes. Now, there is difference between those who are, who are just poor and those who are babes. You know, he said that the Lord has anointed me in the book of Luke chapter 4 when he went into the temple and then took it and began to read from Isaiah to preach the gospel to the poor. The gospel of Christ is preached to the poor, but the gospel of God is preached to the poor in spirit. Yes, it's not the same thing. The Beatitudes... Blessed are the poor in spirit. That thing, I've, I've talked about in spirit before. That spirit is the realm of if worship. It's in, it's in his sight. In his sight. Amen. Amen. It's not, when you say poor in spirit, it's not just talking about your human spirit. No. It's another, another level of poverty. It's a higher level of poverty. It's, 
It's after the purpose of making you a Christ is to make you poor again. You, you need to have some kind of poverty to receive the gospel of Christ. If you have, don't have a first level of poverty, you will not accept the gospel. Yes, you will like things here. You feel like, what is this, this thing? What, what is all this? Why are you taking, wasting your time? We have money. We can make money. We can do all that. When you try to preach, and then a, a Christian who is so full of maybe exploits by, or in the Holy Ghost, imagine somebody who can lay hand on the sick and they recover. Or they can raise the dead or something. But you don't tell them that look, you don't have everything. Oh, look, you are still a baby. Oh. Would they agree with you? It's hard. They, someone, that's why not everybody can hear this kind of gospel. Somebody who is not poor means that poverty means need. Yes, I need. Poverty means sense of need. Someone who still needs something. Most Christians are full. They don't need something. That's why they can't sit down for hours and listen to teaching. They don't need something. They are full. Many of them are even helping God. We just came so we can just give our tithe and go home. They are, they are helping the pastor. They are helping the church. They are helping. They have no need. No sense of need. No sense of need. A soul that has no sense of need, that has no interest in God's will. When you say will, learning will, pattern, they don't, what is all that? We have no need. We have everything on the We know what to do for my future, my next decade, next two decades, next three decades. The principles are here on the world. I know what to invest. My children, I know what to, how to take care of their life. Healthcare, government is there. There's no sense of need. You see, the evil of our day is to remove need, sense of need from the soul, so that the soul will not find the need to sow themselves into God. So, without need, no soul will. When, you see, when I see a soul that has need, I know. When I see a soul, a soul that has no need can come around this gospel and be excited for some time. Wow, what a revelation, brother. I'm going to check. There's no need. If I don't see it, I know you're not going to stay. You don't have need. For it. You are full of other things. These waters is not waters where a soul without need stays around. I mean, a real need for God or something. So, when Jesus took the scripture in that, in that Luke chapter 4, he was quoting from Isaiah. He said, The Lord has anointed me. He's talking about the anointing, the Christ anointing, to preach the gospel to the poor. The poor means those who have need me. But after they preach the gospel, the reason for the gospel of Christ is when you've had some little need to hear Christ, they begin to create more neediness. That soul who, is, who has need, enough neediness to receive the gospel of Christ, God cannot come to that soul. He doesn't have need for God. You can't even conceptualize God. But it will take Christ to do more excavation. In the soul, ah, the more you are revealing Christ, who is the spiritual man? The one who has need for God. That's the spiritual man. The spiritual man is the godly man. Right? According to when, in the book of Psalm, chapter 1, they were speaking about the ungodly. Say, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinner, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But whose delight is in the law? And then in this law does he meditate? Then he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters. Praise God. So, a soul that meditates day and night, in his law does he meditate day and night. It's a thirsty soul that does that. A needy soul that keeps meditating. He wants to break through so that his own soul can be satisfied. 
You see, so you always find that soul by the rivers of water. Oh. A soul, such a soul, amen, amen, is planted by rivers of water. A soul who is not needy will not be planted. They have other things to go and do. But a soul who is needy will be planted by what? Rivers of, of water. So those waters are everlasting life. The everlasting life doesn't come to a soul that is mobile. Everlasting life comes to a planted soul. And only Christ can plant a soul in a position where the waters of God can reach the soul. Praise the Lord. So, so you see, how you know a Christ eh, is another new dimension of poverty. A, a soul will just begin to need something that is not in this world. You just begin to, you will just be, you will just need God. When, when men are getting satisfied, when men are happy and settling, hunger, 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 hunger for God. That's a sign of a, of a spiritual soul, a soul that God has helped. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So, so you're seeing this thing that Jesus is praying here. What he's praying about here is he said that I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou art hid these things from the wise and the prudent, and has revealed them unto what? Thou hast revealed them unto babes. Babes are needy souls. Who is a babe? A babe is a soul that cannot do anything for himself. The, the sign of a, a picture of a baby is just a picture of pure neediness. The most little thing they cannot do for themselves. The most tiny thing they can't. They cannot do. So God is saying that in his sight, you only, they only cater to babes in this sense. Do you get what I mean? Now, he's talking about babes with respect to wisdom and prudence. Right? Wisdom and prudence. So, he's talking about people who are babies with respect to the wisdom of the, of the world, in their own natural wisdom. Let me not even use the wisdom of the world. It's actually the wisdom of man. Man's own wisdom. Right? Then wisdom and then prudence, they are twins. Someone can have wisdom without prudence. Someone who has wisdom and no prudence, is in, he, has, he has no capacity. When you meet a soul with wisdom and no prudence, you see them, they, are, they all have things to say. They, are, they know the answer to all the problems in the world. Jesus. <laughs> a soul with wisdom without prudence can tell you about how to make a billion dollars. And after telling you, you ask you to give him transport fare. <laughs> Please, can I just need to take the bus? Or can I just... Well, he just just tell you how you can solve. You see all the nations, how they can solve their problem, everything. All the wisdom is there. And when you check, they wow, oh my God, this guy is wise. But what is prudence? Wow. Prudence is talk, has to do with action. Yes. Prudence is, how, is when wisdom is guiding action. It's acting prudently. 
you are using wisdom to add. Now, praise God. Now, God is saying that when you see such men who have such ability, we hide these things from them. Because it's by wisdom and prudence men solve their need. So, in this sense, a wise and a prudent man is the opposite of a babe. What a babe lacks is wisdom and prudence. They lack both. They don't, the baby doesn't like have any of those two things. So, so, so what Jesus was saying is that Jesus, I know now, we know, we know in your sight how this thing operates. We know that in your sight, you hide these things from the wise and the prudent, but you only reveal them. And Jesus was thanking God, thank you that it's wow. that way. For even so, for so, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in what? Thy side. Verse 27, then it says, All things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. And he to whomsoever the Son will what? Kai. They're talking about custody of their revelation. The same language, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Which God gave unto him. God doesn't just blast his revelation. I'm God, everybody know me. No, there's, there's a way, there's custody. Why? Because there are, there, are, there are criteria. Number one, you must be a baby. Praise God. Save the son and he to whomsoever the son reveals him. Then come unto me. So based on this understanding, Jesus is now saying, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. So those who labor and are heavy laden are people who cry by their, their exploits. They've tried to, to feel themselves with things, to satisfy their need, but they cannot find rest. They can't find rest. He says, if such people come unto me, then when you come, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, my body is light. Praise God. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now, this Jesus who is speaking here about his yoke, this Jesus is the Lamb of God. At this point, he had become the Lamb of God. He wasn't always the Lamb of God. He wasn't the Lamb of God at age 12. When he he had arrived at that state, God raised a prophet to to see him. 
and to discern him. John prophetically said concerning him. In John, let's see, John chapter 1, right? Let's read John chapter 1. That's John the Baptist. Praise God. So John was the first person in the scripture who discerned Jesus and then he called him the Lamb. Now, at this time when John called him the Lamb, in John chapter 1, that was after the baptism, right? During the baptism, something happened. The Father spoke from heaven. After the Spirit descended, he said that, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. By that time, he has become the Son of the Father, who had pleased the Father, who was coming to the pleasure of the Father. Praise God. And then when John saw him, verse 35, John 1, verse 35, he says, again, the next day after John stood, the next day after, that's the day after baptism. And two of the disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, he didn't say, Behold the Lamb of God that was slain. In another place, John said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away. In verse 20. Aha. Okay. Verse 29 is this day after the baptism. So the next day, God, John seeth Jesus coming up unto him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh what? Away the sin. Aha. So, so your sin here is now speaking. So, so do you see this lamb, this lamb that has already been slain from the foundation of the world, that was in the record of God? Which record? The book in the right hand of him that sat. He had the record of the slain life or the life of the lamb, the, all the leading of the lamb, everything about the life of the lamb was in that book. Praise God. Now, at some point on the earth, physically, the prophet John, who was raised for a particular ministry to see this man, you know, that's, what he, all, that's all he was raised for. All that John was raised for was to make a connection between that finished type in the spirit and tie it to a man on the earth that this is actually a man whom that is a fulfillment of that of the prophecy. So that's why he said, they asked him, why? He said, I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. They said, John said, he was not that light, but he came to bear witness of the light. That's what witness of the light means. Men normally will not see him. For men to really, for, to see him, they have to raise a weird, strange kind of prophet like John the Baptist, and raise him up in the wilderness and give him training to connect the prophetic, to connect the prophetic realm from where the witness to that man will come from. That's what they raised in John. 
And then when he saw him, he knew things about, John, about Jesus. He identified him when he was coming to baptize him. He knew that this is the man. How did he know? When he put him and baptizes him, the confirmation was that the dove came and they, and they had been told to him before that whosoever you see the dove land on him and rest upon him, that that one is the one who baptized people. And the father himself also spoke and bore witness concerning him. Praise God. But John saw something in the spirit that this man is a man that is, is the one who fulfills that title of lamb in the spirit. Because the idea of lamb has already existed in God's creative mind. It's, a, it's already settled. It's a prototype. It's an image. The lamb is an image in the spirit. Angels, they knew it. They must have known it way before Jesus Christ came. If you tell an angel, what is lamb? And they say, what is slain lamb? They can try to explain to you. Maybe they hadn't seen Jesus yet before. But based on what they know concerning the records, when they check the testimony, they see life of the lamb written in there. He's a type in the spirit. So Jesus Christ, as he was being raised, he began to embody it. They were training him to begin to embody it. Then the prophet John saw him. Behold the lamb of God. That take it away. So when he said take it, he didn't say behold the Lamb of God that has taken away. He said behold the Lamb of God that is in the process of taking away the sin of the world. It means that at that time Jesus Christ was a Lamb, but he hasn't yet been slain. When Jesus appeared at that time, when John saw him, that was around 30 years old. He still had about three years plus of walking in the wheel and finishing the wheel. He hadn't yet finished the wheel. Because later, he said, my meat is to do the will of the Father and to finish it. means he hasn't yet finished it. My meat means what I'm concerned with. Meat means what satisfies my soul. What will satisfy my, my need is the will of the Father. I must finish it. Do you get what I'm saying? So, and the finishing of the will of the Father is the losing of his life. Because he said that you shall be led as a lamb to what? The slaughter. So this time, John was prophesying concerning the lamb that had not yet been slain. So he was prophesying about the lamb that is being led. Praise God. Do you see that? Aha. Uh-huh. So when Jesus Christ said, come to me, come to me, all ye that what? That labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and what lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. So it's, so it's very clear that this yoke, which you should take upon you, you know what a yoke is? A yoke is an instrument of leading. When they yoke two things together, what's the purpose of yoking together? So they can part. They can follow now. Leading, leading, leading. This is, this is a very interesting statement here. <laughs> what Jesus is saying here. Jesus could have said, um, take my leash on your neck and follow me as I pull you along. He could have said that, but I will not fully interpret what he's trying to say. Yoke is different. Yoke is talking about matching of steps. 
together, two animals. What Jesus Christ is trying to say is that, is that a soul who is on the path to this place to God, a soul that is on the path to God, walks side by side with him. So, when they say that these are they which follow the lamb, whithersoever he goeth, there's a picture of his lamb is in front and you're following him. It's not like that. It's not like that. It's not just the lamb is in front and you are following. The, follow, the, the lamb which you are following, you are yoked to him. You are yoked to him. That's the way that the, the lamb, the lamb leads. The lamb leads with, with yoke. Now, it's a different operation. Now, I will tell you why do they have to, why does there have to be a yoking for leading? Why? It's because of it's just something about everlasting life. It's, it's a merciful thought. It's a merciful thought. The purpose is why the, the yoke instead of leash is for the sharing of body. It's for the sharing of body. It's not in this realm of everlasting life, it's not Jesus said, hey, come, why are you, why are you slowing down? We, we have somewhere to go, man. He so said, my yoke is easy, my body is light. Sharing of body. It's not, so it's not to put weight on you. It's not about that. Is for, is for training. The real import of yoke is to, is the, you must be yoked to learn. Why? Because yoke, yoke is the, yoke is the, leading by yoke, it, it um, perpetuates the state of meekness. Meekness and brokenness. Perpetuate the state of meekness and what? Brokenness. It means you can't turn your head wherever you want to turn to. You can't do anything you like. You are constantly yoked. So a soul who is not broken cannot, cannot take a step Amen. So he said, when you come to me and learn of me, let's read this place. Praise God. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are what? Heavy laden, and I will what? Give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find what? Rest unto your soul. So I am meek. See meekness. See meekness. 
lowliness, meekness, lowliness. You want to find this everlasting life thing, think in that sense. The, the doorway into God's life is not up, it's, it's in dissension. It's in more, what they're asking for me is more meekness, more brokenness. You might feel, ah, oh, can I be more broken? Most of us know we can be more broken. Let's not have... <laughs> Maybe for the very spiritual ones of us who feel we have already been broken fully. Um, I'm, I am brokenness. There's nothing to break anymore. There is more to break. Until you start seeing God. Until you start seeing God. Because that's where meekness will lead you to. You begin to get meek and meek, meek. Until you begin to see God. You begin to see God. You know, how does seeing God, how does meekness make you see God? Try it. As you are, when you are descending into meekness, you will begin to see the lamb. And it's an image. That image, I'm talking of a kind of a nature. Meekness is a world that men don't venture into. The entire present is framed against meekness. When you're going to a job, there will be a threat inside your heart. If you are meek here, you are going to lose. You will not gain promotion. You will not gain money. You will not gain anything. The world will be talking to you. Anything you want to do, you want to marry, they will talk to you. You can't be meek in this place. Are you seeing this man you want to marry is a monster? If you're trying to be doing meekness here, anyway, anything you see is your own problem. In friendships, check every area of your life. There's no place in this world that... Have you ever, have you ever gone to any company say, meekness is our motto? <laughs> what happened? Any company on the air that, that embodies meekness as their motto, they run out of business. Because the, the world is not framed for meekness and brokenness. If you have a company, you're a shareholder, you don't want a broken and meek CEO. You're not going to make any money. So you see, are you seeing the definition of the straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leadeth to life. Why? And there are few that what? Why? That go there by what? I find it. It's because of the, when you check the requirement for that way, hey! Kaba, shotali gato, sampra talabata. Have you ever, as, as an image of how meek you're supposed to be, ever come to you and you shake? Hey! <laughs> This thing. Yes, sir. You cringe. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. All you just see is impossibility. Yes, sir. No, 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 This can't be. 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 Well, how how can the Son of God be beaten and and and? They didn't just beat, beat him. They, they, he, he, they naked him. He was naked. And they took every dignity from him and they, they made him completely useless as a person. No sense of... Imagine being naked before the world. No single... You know, you know how they're naked? It's not just physical thing, you know. 
the, the process they took him before he arrived there, the people who he came to save, they, you know how, how do you undress somebody? How low can you be when they hang you and the murderer? They, told the, they now gather all the people, choose one. You know, they, then they, they crucify his soul a thousand times before he, they even touch his body. All those things that were taking him through. Imagine how, how? A, a renowned mother. They know that once we release this guy, he's going to kill. That this is this. When they call somebody a murderer, it's not that a murderer is not somebody who committed manslaughter. This <laughs> is what? This is nature. <laughs> So the society said that it's okay. It's okay for us to fear the threat that this guy can murder our children. Release him to us. We'll take him rather than over this guy. Now, how meek do you have to be? And then what he's doing is for them. How meek must you be to be to be, you chose to have one is a devil, and you knew he's a devil right from the day you saw him. And you do everything for him, you care for him, you love him. He himself doesn't even know you know who he is because of how your, your walk towards him is flawless. Are you seeing standard? So, when we are talking about everlasting life, it's not one big word. It's not one big word. What is it? Everlasting. Everlasting. If Jesus was not everlasting in the carriage of life of God, Judas would have broken him one day. So everlasting life is a life which not, there's no assault against that life that can break it. It's powerful. So I seen the strength of that to be that way is meekness. I seen his meekness and lowliness. That's the lamb's nature. The lamb's nature is the nature of the lamb is the nature that can never get offended in leading. That's a lamb. A goat can get offended very easily. In fact, a goat will not even a goat does not. It's not even. Why do you want to lead me first of all? That's, a good, that's many of I'm sorry, I'm not insulting anybody. Let me, let me know. Praise God. The secret of everlasting life is you have to know the secret power under it. It's not just, ah, you know, when he lies and lofty one and all that, it's just, yeah, God. We have the throne. We are the beings of the throne of God. Let's go and dominate the earth. That's not God's life. No, all the Christians, we know all the money and everything. That's not God's life. You're not thinking correctly. Jesus didn't think in that way. Jesus did not go to Herod and say, Herod, boy. Are you the one leading Israel? Then size him up. Let's check your inward capacity. Let's check your judgment. Do you have judgment to lead this? I don't know what his Israel is called, the Israel of God. A man who is leading them should have things inside him. Let's talk. Can you stand my own judgment? 
That's what some of us would have done. If they gave you a tiny quarter of what Jesus was decked with as a man. It means that it's very clear that there must have been problems of the nation. I mean, natural problems. Now, Jesus can easily, he knows the solution to it. He knows what they need to do to solve problems. Jesus knew what they needed to do to be free of the Romans in two days, maybe. He knows the way. He knows what to do. But some of us, they can't dare give you such kind of insight. If you, they try it, you would think that, that you are the third coming. That you would begin to feel like you are Jesus. That God changed his mind that we need another coming before. <laughs> Imagine. The, the kind of wisdom that Jesus had. But he was just in he was just in Nazareth there with the lowest of the lowest of people. He didn't feel any day the need to travel to some area, you know, go closer to where where they are clean people. At least, uh-uh. How can I be living around riffraffs every day? Some of us, that's how we will behave. Why? Because we don't know the, the key. The key. Jesus Christ was Jesus Christ was had the, the key of greatness. I know his disciples were always talking about who will be the great. Every time, the greatest, the greatest argument. They are going to do preaching or crusade or something. They are always fighting. And check the, the fight. It's always, are you higher than this one? Out of two of us, who is the first, second, third? Where am I in the That's the argument they always argue in every time. And Jesus was looking at them. Can these guys? Until one day he went to teach them about the kingdom. When they came out, asked him, they someone courage. Okay, Jesus, who will be the greatest? In the kingdom, just okay, let me now teach you about the kingdom. Then Jesus told them to, okay, make a circle or something. And he brought a little child and put the little child in the circle. He said, except you repent and be converted and be as little children, you will not enter the kingdom. So it means that to even enter the kingdom, you must be as little children. Because as all of you are right now, you can't even enter the kingdom. So forget about greatness. You are, you are talking too far. Don't even talk about greatness in the kingdom. You've not even entered to start with. Then he said, after someone has entered, except you then humble yourself as this little child, then who can do that? That's the greatest in the kingdom. Are you seeing that? The dominion of God. That's the pattern of the dominion of God. Why is the image of he who inherited the throne, the man-child? Baby. It's baby now. Because he revealed them to obey, for so he seemed good in his sight. So it has to be a baby, Revelation chapter 12, that will be caught up to God and to his throne. It's the pattern of that world. Meekness. And that baby was inside the belly of the woman. The woman is the church. So it means that the everlasting company will be babies inside the church. Hmm. Who are babies in the church? You can easily put them aside and trample on them. So these are the ones that are wasting time. You guys don't know Christianity. It's time to do things for God. And you're here sitting down, Bible, 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 Bible. It's not time for you to say, no, we are the ones that have the revelation. You guys are all wasting time. It's time to know the Lord. <laughs> but it's a mixed spirit. 
there were babies in the womb of, of the church. And they will stay there and stay there and stay there and stay there until they appear in the side. You know that being caught up to the throne, to God and the throne, that wasn't everlasting life. That was when they actually came to reign in. It means that when they were in the womb, they were everlasting. You mean the, the sign of, the, of an everlasting people in the church will be people hidden inside the womb of the church. You can't see them. The child was greater than the mother. After the child left, the mother had to pick race. You read it now? The dragon, when he couldn't get the child, was coming for the mother. The mother could not be caught up like that. God had to do a, try and use the flood and the sea to save her until, and kept her and as the remainder of her seed in the wilderness to be fed for some time. That's the symbol of, that's the, what we're talking about here. Childlikeness, meekness. So when you hear everlasting life, oh, is, I, can you be as meek as God? How is God? <laughs> The creator of the universe, you're calling me in Jesus' name. Do this. Quickly, quickly, he will do it. Am I lying? Can you be as meek as God? Someone who says, I hate God, I'm an atheist. God does not exist and does wicked things. God is making him breathe every morning. Making sure he doesn't die. Making sure he's, he's okay. Making sure the cells of his body are, are fine. And he's insulting God. Can you handle that kind of thing? Meekness. What about Jesus on the cross? One on the other side was insulting him. Look at yourself. You say you are the king of what? We're here together. Okay, calm down from this place. Let's see. Some of us, if it was you, that would be the end of salvation. For the cross. <laughs> See everlasting life. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Verse 29. For I am meek. I am meek and lowly in heart. And shall, and shall find rest unto your souls. That Isaiah chapter 20, 57. Amen. We can, we can just close because time has gone. But that Isaiah 57. Thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 57, verse 15, says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabited eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and lofty, lofty and holy place, sorry, which is the everlasting, the most holy realm, with him also that is of a contrite, and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Praise God. So, so in, the, in the spirit, high means low. It's very clear, it should be very clear to you that God is lower than men. Mm -mm. Is it, is it, what God does for you, can you do that for somebody else? Without feeling insulted and feeling 
God serves men. God is serving creation. See the tiny ant. God can serve that ant. The birds of the air, God is thinking about what they will eat. He's serving them. He doesn't just get tired one day. What are all these things? They mean nothing. The bird has no significance. You need to understand the nature of the Almighty. That's why the world keeps going and going because of him. So it means that there is no, there is no one lower than him. There's no one meeker than him. There's no one more humble than him. We who are not are the ones who have high shoulder. Imagine, imagine a grass whose breath in his nose, who can die next, next tomorrow. Who hold another person in his heart. No, forgive now. Oh, no, yes, he wronged me. If you know, no. Me and him, we are done. Someone who doesn't know where his next breath is coming from. And then, the one God who is supplying the bread is still supplying the bread. We are all bigger than God. Though. We are bigger than him. We are higher than him. God is low. And you are wondering why, why he's all powerful. Why he doesn't end. That's a secret. So when you say high place, high and lofty, you are thinking, ah, it's not lofty in that way. It's not lofty in that way. It is his meekness. And God has, actually has a broken spirit. He's, God is meek. God is lowly. It's his lowliness that makes him high. And he's saying here that I dwell in the high and holy place with him also. Aha. Why, why is there also here? It means it's not only who he does with that is contrite and humble. With him also, who is like me. That is of a contrite and a humble spirit. So I come to somebody who is of a contrite spirit, who is of a humble spirit. Now when I see such a person, I have an intention towards them. What do I need to do to them? I revive the spirit of the humble. What is that reviving of the spirit of the humble? This revived humble person, the revived life, this revived life, is the life which the lamb which was slain is living. Do you see it? Are you seeing it? This revived life is a life after death. Being found in fashion of a man, he humbled himself unto death. Even the death of the cross. Right? Jesus, as the lamb, was led to the slaughter. That's the finishing of brokenness. And his humility and meekness is humble unto death. And then when that when humility has reached that start mark and standard, God comes to revive the heart of such people. So you are seeing, you see that eternal life is actually the life that comes to people who are contrite and of a humble spirit. 
So, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So, the spirit. So, anybody soul that wants to be revived, revive means revive means to give life again. But life he will give again is another life. He wants another life. The other life is the life of God, God's own kind of life. You must, this soul must come into this place of brokenness and contriteness. In Isaiah, in chapter 66, just go forward a little bit. He said, thus says the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. And where is the house that you build unto me and where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, that what? Trembled at my word. Praise God. We are talking about the leading of the lamb, following the lamb, following the path of the lamb. To do that, of course, you have to see the image of the lamb. Now, what is this, this image? The revelation of the Lamb is the revelation to a soul on how to descend the way the Lamb descended. On how to be meek the way the Lamb. So, when you see a soul who is pursuing an everlasting life, what happens is that in their dealings as they are living, the image of the Lamb begins to come before them. Is it in your home, in your marriage, in your whatever, your work, whatever, in your, as you are living? The image of the lamb. What's the image of the lamb? You see the, that lamb as though he has been slain. They will begin to give you the revelation of his, how he is slain. The meekness, the journey of meekness that took him to that position. That kind of a being. The inward attitude and the Evolution of persons that it will occur to you. The change of your disposition that the Holy Ghost needs to bring. Amen. So the, the seven spirits are the spirits of God. The eyes of God. Eyes of God. What are the eyes of God? The eye that can discern the meek nature. The everlasting nature. Sometimes a sign that you are beginning to flourish in everlasting life is when that side begins to come to you. It begins to come to you. You begin to discern the state of meekness and lowliness. That a soul who will appear in the sight of God should have. The meekness compatible with the life of God. That's the revelation of the Lamb. Following that path, living according to that way, as light is coming, revelation is coming. Ah. Being meek is more than just saying I will be meek from today. Go and try it. Let's talk next week. You don't say, ah, but I know very humble, humble, um, Unbelievers who are not Christians. I think we can just be like that. So that one now, can we go take that one? Meek, this meekness is not that humility. 
Why? Because such a person is, is, has taken his fashion. An evil spirit can give someone a fashion of humility, but it's not. How can you test whether it's true? It's a true stature. Does it tremble at his word? <laughs> you can never fake that one. Try and fake it. You will know you are not trembling. Can you force yourself to tremble at the word? How you know you are not making that when the word is coming, you can summarize it in one way and do it. Just put it in one way. It's not. To, for a soul to arrive at that trembling is neediness. It's extreme neediness for the word of God. So it means that it's a meekness by knowledge, understanding. For a soul to tremble at God's word, to have deep need for Him, is where they must have framed the judgment to see everything else as nothing. You can't, you can't do that by yourself. Revelation. So servants are meek, meek souls. Broken people. They have received revelation. Unveiling. Unveiling. The revelation of Jesus Christ is the revelation of the truth. Because what pumps men up are lies. When they convince a person that he is something that he is not. That's, what, that's the devil's job. To tell someone that someone who is heading to hell or lake can pump him up to feel like he's something because he lacks understanding. Praise the Lord. So, the book of the life of the Lamb, you cannot manufacture words in that book, it has to come. That's why when he took the book and was ready to go and reveal it, a song broke out in heaven. They began to sing concerning. They sung a new song. Praise God. You know, so later how he went on to begin to reveal it. Seal by seal. Seal by seal. Seven seals to unseal the life inside the book. So you see, seals must be unveiled and unveiled and unveiled until you can actually get to the life of the book. So the book of Revelation is the unveiling of the seals first. Amen. So is it very clear to you that the seal of the book is the life of Christ? Yes. yes that as you are learning Christ, the learning of Christ is the unsealing of the book. Because until the book is unsealed, you can't read the book. So the empowering of men to come into the life of God is the unsealing of the book of that life. That's what the seals are for. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's just begin to pray today. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus.
Paranabasu Karihaba, O Papa Hawa, Pahaharabasu, Kerhera, O Penekapa, Hapa Tosia, Rahabahura, Hora, my country had a Paharano, so send the Lika Ika Pahoga. Repara Labahuri Kapos, Haralabos. Fraskes Sultani Pao Temekai Pahola Prantule Kabrahara Baturi Prahaskado Angrada Luri Pahara Mahu Taskes Prenta Pao Prehera Matu Brenti Matalika Matalika Mataloke Matalika Mataleka Matulika Matalika Masieleka Eklesi Rambrandora Periparebahore Parema Ukremena Vihilzo Rembasco Susumenete Petepreheta Petepetikele Petekepriki Kambara Papa Patatali Prama Lutu Tutuli Gahi Brazi Breka Yarabasu Brendeli Praharabos Ripaka Uripaka Eri Caparo de Cambreherabos Suprentama Interpanta Varavavoria Paha Emprambaru baharaba moto etete kereta mante tikisisi mriski skorienta barieluske ranchenta iska ambrandu viskis embrandu librata ma ipran skoripandi adapatikigi ingresa iga lupraza ele shanto lombrando libranja la prosieta pari brandu zikrivari alabazusi briri alabahurudu duburigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigigig
heaven demands so much submission to for hearts to buy into the into the you see the, the heart that this to this man will I look broken heart contrite spirit the heart that trembles at my word the heart that trembles at my word at my word my word that word my word is talking about the word of God there will be a season of the word of God and this is the this was the problem of Hebrews this is the problem that Hebrews was trying to solve attitude towards the when God's own word began to come you see some souls who have enjoyed maybe word from God at other levels. When God began to speak, they began to get dull of hearing. So of this Melchizedek, which we have many things to say, but hard to be uttered, seeing that you are dull. You become dull. Later he said that we must give the more energy to the things which we have heard, lest we let them sleep. Sleep away. At this area, era of crossing, that's the way Satan fights. He fights. He fights. Because he knows that a servant needs the word of service. You need the pattern of service. You need the revelation of service. Praise God. So that's what I want us to really pray. The Lord will help us in this season. That when it comes to submission to his word, as his word is coming to us, that the Lord will help our heart. Submission to the word doesn't mean always hearing to message or being in meeting. Submission to the word means so say submit to submit. To submit means to condescend under the authority of that word. For many of us, your life, you've not brought your life under the authority of the word you are hearing. You, the word is on one side, you pick and choose, you do what you do. When, the, when you want, it's time to obey the side you like, you do it. Ah, what? After a while, you just ignore some of the other things. That's not trembling. You get what I'm saying? To tremble at the word means you bring your life under the authority of that. Let your life be governed by that word, by that revelation. There are times when the word will tell you that we have to make some serious shift. Your life as you know it now will be altered a certain way. There needs to be a submission for such a thing. It's submission to the word that will make you lose your old person and forget it and embrace another person, another image with the word is bringing. The word of God is printing to you. I want us to really pray for this thing, that the submission to the word of God, that the Lord will grant you grace to, 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 to access trembling, to access fear, to access reverence, the, the, the right kind of reverence, respect, which you ought to give to the word of God. The Lord will give grace, mercy, mercy. Mari kapata eri pasko le prena la pari ala badogre kaiva gushkene manda le pari kamose se panta igra matu kalibra ndeli kari pato create bula imbra losa sata limpra paori kapuri manzo se kete keli kali andoskeri andoske rishande le para la bato ni kapara la baskori inta paori pa balemete balimeta krisko. Masa zuze seska iska zusa tama te 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 repanti ta 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 ta
We thank you, Jesus. 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 In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I hope you know that following the Lamb is not just doom and gloom, eh? It's not just sadness and bitterness and all. <laughs> How many of you know that? Did you know something? Did you know that that supper of the Lamb, that marriage supper of the Lamb, is not one, it's not, it's not an event. The marriage of the Lamb is not a one date. You say, today this is the marriage date because we fulfill the criteria. No. The, the entire school of everlasting life is a marriage. Marrying. The way we want to marry you and the Lamb is a process. And that process of marriage has a supper to eat. That supper is a feast. When, by the time you, when Jesus Christ said, come unto me, learn of me, he said, I will give rest for your soul. You don't know what that rest means. They will, they will bring you into the enjoyment of the, of the leading. Is, when, you are, when you've not settled to be led, you'll be fighting, you'll be sad. But once you relax to be led by the Lamb, look, you are, because leading of the Lamb is leading in His presence. The presence is fullness of joy. Pleasures is from pleasure to pleasure. Every step is pleasure. As long as you align with following the Lamb. Amen. How many of us are ready to experience that joy of following God? Father, we thank you. Father, you've heard the prayers of your children. You've heard the cries of our heart. Help us to win all our battles. Help us to overcome. May the image of the Lamb ever be before our eyes. Help us, Lord. Bring the revelation. And Lord, I pray for the grace for submission under your word to tremble at your word. Help us to find, Lord, the life. To find it out. To gain access by your spirit. Thank you, our Father. Father, I release, Lord, by your spirit. Let it be a furnishing, Lord, of grace Amen. for every heart to come into these things. Amen. Thank you, Father. We give you all the praise today. Worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Between the cherubim shine forth. You dwells between the cherubim shine forth. You dwells between the cherubim shine forth. You dwells between the cherubim shine forth.